final hour of the People's Show here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Vic Nazar and Dan Riccio on the People's Show today. Eddie Gregory as well. And you, the people, texting in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or our Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are asking you. For turf trivia, mm-hmm. for a four-pack of tickets to the Canadians Family Fun Day Sunday, which Canucks prospect scored the OT winner versus Mikey DiPietro at the 2019 World Juniors? Yep. Do you know the answer, each? Petrus Palmu. <laughs> I mean, it's a good guess. I'm trying to think of uh, Finnish yeah. Canucks prospects. Tony. Tony. Tony Utenen. That's right. You can uh, do the Seinfeld, pop the collar. Hey, Tony. <laughs> Tony. Hey, Turns Tony. Out the question was good enough, it could stump the uh, Connect Central host. <laughs> there you go. Tony. To- uh, Tony Utnin. Um, so, confession. I-, I knew because uh, Eddie had already told us uh, in the break. But, um, yeah, Tony Utnin, no longer a member of the Canucks organization. Mm-mm. Unqualified this year. So, there you go. That's yep. the right answer. Uh, the winner, a little controversy here. Controversy. <laughs> I always want to say it, but you beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> Paul in Burnaby is our winner. Yeah. But he he writes Paul in Burnaby by way of North Van. So is he currently in Burnaby, but he actually resides in North Van? Well, if you live in Burnaby. No, I just mean like, is he currently driving in, or like mm. getting coffee in Burnaby? Or do you think this is like... I feel like he grew up in North Van, but so, is now in Burnaby. So this is like, you, when you look at the, the 2014 draft, yeah. it's just like via this... Mm-hmm. So it's... Okay. So the Belge is in Burnaby. He uh, he got tired of taking one of the bridges home. <laughs> he said, you know what? I'm moving to Burnaby. You're taking a bridge this weekend. Or to the uh, Portman. Thinking about it. Because yesterday we were talking about, hey, you went to White Pine. And someone yeah. texted in, well, look at that. A trip across the Portman. Not necessary no, to go to Coquitlam. Definitely uh, not. Unless you want to go the really long way. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know. But, but but you're looking for watering holes. 7A. Yeah. And you're thinking of Cultist Lake. It's supposed to be really hot again this weekend. I can't do White Pine on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like if it was busy on a, Wednesday. a Tuesday or a Wednesday, yeah. whenever a day was that I ended up going. Yeah, two days ago, yeah. Um, it's It's going to be a madhouse. I don't know. Like, am I going to be the guy that gets up at 7 a.m. to get myself into a spot at White Pine Beach? <laughs> Probably not. So. Also, Saturday might be a good fireworks day, too. You're all over the place. I'm trying to enjoy the summer as best yeah. I can. I'm not just going to, like, stay within four walls. Active weekend, man. Look at you go. Take in the celebration of light. I think. Who's it supposed to be? Spain on Saturday? I have no idea. I'm not a fireworks guy. Maybe there's a tribute to like Chavi. Oh, during the fireworks or Iniesta. See now that that I would like be interested in. <laughs> That's like you throw a dash of sport into something. I was like, all right, I can come pique my interest. You had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Be like looking at a picture at an art gallery and be like, you know what? I see Tiki Taka there. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk to our guy, Kevin Woodley, uh, from In Goal Magazine, the In Goal Radio Podcast. Joining us now, Woodley, how are you? I'm good. You know, the closest I get to the fireworks now is having to 
stay up late and wait for my daughter to get home last night from watching them herself. So um, I'll live vicariously through Reach and his ambitions to uh, get out there and enjoy <laughs> Vancouver. Um, I'm just sitting there grumpily waiting for her to get home so I can actually go to bed like the rest of the old people. <laughs> it is tough. That's the worst part of like, about like watching the fireworks uh, is is the, the get home after it part. Just like the swaths of people trying to leave the downtown area all at the same time. I was impressed. They actually, like, I'm not sure the exact details were, but they were down there. It's uh, my youngest birthday, so she was down with, her, with friends, and the oldest went down, and then she met a friend, and they rented bikes. So smart play. They rented bikes, oh. biked to a good spot, then biked back, dropped off oh. the rentals, and then got in the car, thereby missing a little bit of the traffic that had already left and not and avoiding some of the crash. So in addition to uh, being more ambitious and younger and you know keener to stay up late, they're also smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, you're raising a smart one there. That is that is a heady move there. Pro tip for everyone listening right there. Rent Man. rent the bike, get out of the core, and then away you go. <laughs> That's why she's headed to university on a scholarship, <laughs> and I had to pay my way through school, I guess. See, you you could take this to the grade as like a proud dad moment, as you know, one of the things that, that you've done well is is teach uh, teach your, your children efficiency. That's right. That's right. It's like goaltending. It's all about efficiency, boys. I'm just picturing you like at like 70 years old, sipping a cocktail. It's like, I remember that time you took a rental bike out of the downtown core. I was really proud of you that day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope, let's hope that that's just the start of a, uh, a bar that continues to get raised. Like if that's peak, then maybe all this applause of, uh, for me as a father will uh, be premature. Uh, all right, a lot to get into. Uh, so yesterday, uh, some comments made by uh, Mikey DiPietro's agent, Darren Ferris. Uh, and the quote is, there are occasions where they, the organization has dropped the ball on his development. The truth of the matter is the bulk is more on the organization than it is on the player in this instance. Hopefully, we can get him into the right position. We were talking about it earlier. And look, we've discussed it ad nauseum about the, what happened in the, the, the North Division year. He's absolutely right. It was a very unfair hand that got dealt for Mikey DiPietro. He had to take on the burden that probably shouldn't have been put on him, and it, it, it did stunt his development. The question I have, though, Woodley, is like, how good is Mikey DiPietro? Like, like, what is the platform from which that development is starting from? Is he good enough to even get to an NHL stage that say, okay, that development really hindered you to becoming X, Y, and Z, a backup goalie at 23 years old? Yeah, I mean, I don't know where the ceiling is. I, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm one of the ones who yelled the loudest about um, the mistake they made. And, and, you know, he has to move past that. And, you know, it sounds like they felt as though maybe he dwelled on it a little too long last year in terms of getting screwed the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and let's not forget, like, this, hey, everybody faced a, a pandemic. Um, minutes were not as available as they had been in the past for a lot of teams and a lot of developing goaltenders. But this was a very conscious decision not to spend money on a number three goaltender for their taxi squad because they could have Mikey on it for the bottom end of his two-way salary and save money. So that's that was the part I would, that upset me the most is they sacrificed that year development-wise simply because they weren't willing to spend on paying a more established guy to be on that taxi squad. And that, you know, that's... That's just that's tough to rectify for me. Um, that said, though, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to know. I I had questions about when they drafted him uh, about the reliance on athleticism. I thought I saw massive steps in his game a couple of years in the two years, three years after 
he was drafted. And, and let's be honest, that first-year pro, that's a massive jump. Like, I cannot tell you how many goaltenders we've talked to at Ingle over the years who all sing from the same songbook about the toughest step being junior to AHL, not AHL to the NHL. It's a huge jump, and he made it really smoothly. And so there's a lot of promise there. And so I, I, I do believe that he has the potential to be an NHL goaltender. Um, at what level in the National Hockey League, whether that's backup or whether there's a long career, or, I, I can't tell you. But I do think there's still NHL potential there. You know, I, obviously after last year, you had questions about whether it would be with this organization. And I think that, you know, that goes beyond sort of how they handled that year. I, I, you know, I, I have questions about whether he necessarily fits uh, into, you know, the, the sort of teachings as, as successful as they've been with, with a lot of goaltenders, um, but whether his strengths fit into, you know, the quote-unquote Ian Clark system. Um you know, does that give him a chance to be at his best? There are things, there are physical limitations in his game at his size. Um, he has to do things differently. We talk a lot about post play, and you know, you watch Markstrom when he was here, and Demko, and you watch all these kids at process, like all the kids at development camp, like you know, uh, the Finnish kid whose name I butcher. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, you know, the Silos. They all have similar sort of physical profiles you hear Ian Clark talk a lot about length like it's not just about tall goaltenders uh it's about the ability to sort of extend those limbs and get those frames into positions that are not comfortable for a lot of goaltenders when we talk about post play and you know Mikey's had to adapt some different things in his game because he's just not capable of playing it that way puck goes behind the net he looks a lot more like Jonathan Quick and how he looks over the left shoulder and cheats on the not cheats but hedges to blocker side so we can look over that left shoulder and maintain that field division where the other guys are, you know, they're down on the ice with a skate on each post. They have such not just height, but length and, and sort of mobility and flexibility. So, um, you know, I, there's some questions there. I, I liked as much as the year on the taxi squad kind of screwed them from a games played perspective. And we talked about how that was so important that that age and that sort of step of development is just to play. Um, I liked how he was combining a lot of the things that Ian teaches with what I saw as a foundation for his game. But then when I watched him play this year, it looked like he was just trying to do everything they teach here and just moving around in these patterns without sort of some of the tracking foundations that I thought gave him a chance to play in the NHL. Like those to me slipped when I was watching him. Um, whether it was in the AHL or in the NHL. So um, if it requires a change of scenery to sort of find that balance better, or if he can find it over the summer and does end up back here and, and has a chance to push for an increased role um, beyond what would appear to be sort of five on the depth chart coming into this season as it, as it looks right now, uh, I still think there's that potential. Like, and, and I just think this is a kid that will push hard to reach that potential. I just don't know if the best bet for reaching his ceiling is going to be with the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I think I've been pretty open about that, you know, for a while now. So none of this is really unexpected to me in terms of the most recent developments. Yeah. Cause I can't imagine, you know, um, Di Pietro and his, his camp, they, they feel like they're going to go somewhere else and be third on the depth chart somewhere, uh, you know, in a, in a different organization, at least not, Right away, so th- there's got to be there's got to be more there and an understanding that maybe just 
the, the situation may be better elsewhere or it's just best for everybody to move on after the way things have gone here. But what is it about Silovs that has him ahead of DiPietro now on, on the depth chart? Well, some of those physical attributes that I just talked about, um, yeah. both from a height perspective and sort of, you know, like, and again, just a lot of the attributes that when they pick goaltenders now, uh, you know, sort of since Ian Clark has arrived, not just as a goaltending coach, but into more of a, a director type role. Actually, I think they've even got that in his title under the new contract extension. Um that are just there's a greater emphasis placed on those things and they are elements that aren't necessarily present in in michael di pietro's game and again that's not a doesn't mean you can't play without them it just means that if that's what this organization now covets and values when it comes to their goaltenders um those are attributes that you know i mean you watch Silovs and he has them in spades um, and, and they aren't things that were sort of on the checklist, so to speak, when they drafted Michael DiPietro, and they aren't things that, you know, he has naturally, and they're not things you can teach, right? Like, you can't teach um, six foot four and the ability to get into positions that, you know, frankly, other goalies just physically can't get into, uh, you know, when it comes to hips and, and knees and ankles. And uh, when, when you watch Silov's play, like, all those sort of skills and attributes, like he has them in spades. Like he's so quick. I did, we did some stuff at Ingle Magazine uh, shortly before um, Curtis got the job uh, in Toronto with the Maple Leafs, uh, where we were breaking down some drills and videos of drills that I'd filmed with him working with Archers. And it wasn't just the execution of these drills, but the speed with which he did it. Like, it was almost an exercise for Curtis and sort of getting him to slow down a little bit. Like the quickness is off the charts. And so when you see those attributes, you see upside and you see potential, especially in how they evaluate goaltenders now um, that, you know, by that book, by that manual, by that standard, um, you, you know, you would, ass- the way they're judging and because I don't want to say this is like, it's me, how I would look at mm-hmm. it, but the way look, they're looking at it right now, Arthur Sillops would check off a lot more of those boxes than Michael DiPietro. Now, there's still other elements in the game because the Finnish kid checked off a lot of them, too, and in drills, he looked spectacular. And all of a sudden, we got into that scrimmage game and you know the ability to take all these things and execute them at the right time, to read plays, to anticipate, um, to apply the right things at the right time correctly in a dynamic, fast-moving game. Like, I thought, I thought as good as he looked in the drills – it kind of went out the window once we got into game action. And then I watched Ty Young, who was still learning a lot of these new movement patterns, and he was able to execute them more effectively and in the right time, in the right moment, the right choices in a game um, than the other kid did. And that's, you know, that's just proof that all these attributes show you what the potential is, but you still have to put everything together to reach it. So, um, they believe there's enough signs of it in Silovs that he'll get there. And I think the world championship probably showed a lot of people that that potential is there as well. So um, doesn't mean Mikey can't still pass him, whether it's here or elsewhere, you know, but right now sort of the standards by which they measure goaltenders have changed since Michael DiPietro was drafted and Arturs checks off a lot more of that list than he does. Uh, you mentioned Curtis Stanford. Uh, it's been just under a month, uh, early July, 
uh, when he was poached uh, for a great opportunity uh, to coach in Toronto, obviously leaves a vacancy uh, within the Canucks organization. Do you know maybe of like a timeline when that might be filled and, and who some people are for that? Well, I'm going to defer to the uh, the master of scoops in Vancouver when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks, Rick Dollywall, who I believe tweeted out today that that decision on announcing a replacement for Curtis is close. Um, I haven't been able to narrow down exactly who it is, but I would trust Rick that it's close and potentially even done right now. Um, I think my list is still the same as what I gave you guys earlier. The one name I forgot to mention, and this is probably right, right when Curtis got hired, so about a month ago, um, the one name I missed in terms of candidates who would actually be very much like Curtis in terms of as a goalie he played for Ian, reinvented his career under Ian with Columbus, uh, and in the last couple of years has transitioned out of the NHL and is starting to do some private coaching, and that's Curtis McElhenney. And I know for a fact that that's somebody that Ian looked at as a guy he thought had the tools and had the knowledge and, and would make a good transition into coaching. The one part I can't tell you about that is is whether Curtis is ready, whether the change in the do- job description, and you heard uh, I think Patrick Alvin talked about it a little bit, and our, Ryan Johnson talked about it a little bit uh, at development camp. Like, this isn't going to be the same job description that Curtis had. It's not going to be full-time in the AHL. There's going to be part-time AHL and then more of a development role, perhaps roving and maybe some scouting with some of the other prospects. Um, that's how this is going to shape up moving forward, or at least for the new hire. I don't know if that's enough of a workload reduction that Curtis McElhenney would be interested. I know, look, he's got a young family. He's based in Colorado. I'm not sure he's interested in moving anywhere full-time. So that might discount him from this list. And the other names are names that I gave you. And I, and I, I would not – the name that I have had from the start that I thought would be a very strong candidate is Marco Terranius. Uh, Marco is based out of Finland. He's a Finnish coach, but he's worked in the KHL for the last – I, actually, I'm not sure. The last number of years had uh, had Igor Shishterkin with him at SCA for four or five years. Um, is a goalie coach that I know Ian has close contact with. Uh, shares some philosophies. We had Marco on the In Goal Radio podcast about two months ago, uh, and he talked actually a lot about all the things he learned from Ian Clark. And so, anytime you have that shared background, uh, you know, in terms of philosophically and sort of the roots of what he believes in and how he teaches tied so closely to Ian. And there's other guys, Mate Schwo out of Sweden, who just won a, uh, an SHL championship with Farjestad, would fit the same bill. But the thing I liked about Marco uh, for this job is it's not normally one he would ever think of considering. I mean, the reality is uh, goalie coaches in the KHL can make it as much, if not more in some cases, than NHL goalie coaches but the KHL isn't an option for him right now uh, to go back uh, being from Finland. And so I think, you know, that makes for the first time in his career, the chance to come over to North America uh, is something that I, I know, because we've talked about it, that I know he would consider and covet. And I think he may get that chance here. So that would be my betting favorite right now. The other names, like I said, uh, McElhenney, Mache Schwo. I mean, if there was a wild card locally, uh, I know that Lyndon Sammartino um, was actually invited out by Ian because before development camp opened up to the public with all the players, Ian ran the goalies through two days of camps on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm pretty sure it was Lyndon that he tagged as the goalie coach to help him. Uh, Lyndon is also a guy who I believe he's with the Victoria Royals right now, 
and used to sort of work as the right-hand man for Brady Robinson. Brady Robinson is now with the Philadelphia Flyers in the AHL. He was Ian Clark's right-hand man uh, with GDI, the Goaltender Development Institute, when he used to run private camps. And he replaced the former right-hand man, which um, is uh, Kim Dillabaugh, who's now the Flyers goalie coach. So there's sort of you know, six degrees of Ian Clark and coaching separation. I think when you look at guys who, again, share that philosophy, um, that's where I would start. Uh, and like I said, for a lot of different reasons, including the fact that uh, they sent the Finnish prospect. Again, I don't want to say the name because I butcher it every time. i got to practice it. But they sent him to work with Marco Terenius this summer in Finland. And Marco in the summers works with oh, a, a long list. Kevin Lankinen, um, Mikko Koskinen. I think there's about a half dozen NHLers from Finland. Uh, or NHLers or AHLers from Finland that train with Marco in the summers, and they um, they added uh, their prospect to that list this summer. So uh, we'll see where this lands, but don't be surprised if one of those names, especially Terenius, ends up being uh, the the guy who gets the gig here. Is is, is the name where we're avoiding uh, Aku Koskin Vuo? There you go, Adam. Boy, you better said better. You said it to me. I don't. I don't know <laughs> Koskin Vuo. What it is, I don't know. It, it's actually not that hard. I'm going to blame the missing tooth. It's just got too many valves in it. And I just <laughs> makes like sense. It's, it's, still, it's still a problem for me. So I'm just the Finnish kid, as he will forever be known when I do my radio. <laughs> appreciate we'll just call him Aku from now on. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Hey, appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, it's at Kevin is in goal on Twitter. Uh, Kevin Woodley in goal magazine in goal radio podcast as well. All right, a little behind here, but let's get to it. It is don't at me. Your takes uninterrupted. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650-650. It's brought to you by Leasebusters. Get out of your vehicle lease with ease, confidence, and a Leasebusters leasing specialist to guide you through the journey. Go to leasebusters.com to start the process today. A pair of tournament passes to the Odlum Brown Van Open at Hollyburn Country Club, the largest and most celebrated men's and women's pro tennis tournament in Western Canada, showcasing approximately 135 tennis stars from all over the world. Details at vanopen.com. A couple of players uh, already announced uh, today by uh, the Odlum Brown Van Open, including uh, Vashik Pospisil, who will be there, uh, and also Yuri Vesely, a pretty uh, big name. Let's go Vashik. Yeah. Um, all right, Ricardus Baranakis as well. I'll uh, I'll kick off. Don't at me if that's all right with you. Six fifty, six fifty. Yes, uh, kind of an abbreviated version. So we'll have to pick our winner <laughs> on the other side. But nevertheless, don't at you. We uh, we always like uh, don't at me, but uh, don't at me. Connor McDavid needs to take some photography classes. Yeah. <laughs> That is a tough-looking picture, Connor. He was pale. Like, get the angle better. Oh, get the lighting man. better. Understand depth perception in relation to a mountain behind you. Yes. Oh, it's tough, tough picture. He he deserves all the memes he's getting today. Connor's a social media game. You know, between the, the view of the house and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Needs to hire a staff. The uh, best Connor McDavid picture since the... Uh, I'm scared, surrounded by these people at the airport one. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, don't at me. I would trade Miller for Dobson in a heartbeat. Maybe even throw in a sweetener. Yeah, of course. Uh, we, we've talked about this. I, do, do people really think JT I Miller just, gets Noah Dobson out I, of the uh, out of the island? I'd be floored. Floored. Like, Will Amarello should be fired on the spot. Forget one were... sweetener. It's, it's going to cost you, man. It's going to cost you a great deal. JT Miller is 29 in need of a new contract. Noah Dobson is a 22-year-old 50-point scoring right shot defenseman. Come on. Don't make any sense. Don't at me. Summer seasonal depression is a real thing. Too damn hot. I don't like this. This is why I always say the the winter months are the best months. I'm pro-winter. It is such a bad take. Did you see that tweet going out the other day of like, rank the months? Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of winter takes. No. No. I'll take what we've had this week over the worst days in December. It's cool for you guys. No. Again, like just five days pro, of like heat. For me, oh, where I'm forced to stay outside in beautiful British Columbia. For me, I enjoy winter more. Man. I understand why other people. Yeah. 28 straight days of rain. Stop it. Listen to yourself. I, you I, don't actually believe this. I like the October to February stretch. Eddie, I, uh, that's just miserable. I mean,. October to February. Legitimately. Mm. Legit, yeah. To me, the good weather and the nice sunny weather in Vancouver is too short. Compared not- to the nine and a half months of subpar to poor at best. You know what's like super amazing in the summer? Like just driving around at like nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wa- like watching the sunset as you drive around the city. Look, I didn't say summer the was way bad. The mountain, like the the sunlight is hitting uh, the, the the mountains at just the perfect time. The different colors of, of the sky. It's gorgeous. The pinks and the orange. Yeah. It just bothers me when people oh. complain about the summer heat. I get it in some parts. It gets too hot and it's a hazard to your health. But people that complain Look, about Vancouver summer heat, I think the is rare, a risky move. The rare time Rager and I are aligned here, currently working in this weather for 10 hours. I'm with Bick. And that's totally fair. Awesome. That's fair. Right. Uh, don't at me. I'm the opposite. Uh, Canucks management and Miller's camp are waiting to see what Kadri's contract looks like. And then Sparks will fly. So what if Kadri, like ends up signing with the Colorado Avalanche for like $6 million a year? Like, is that on the table? How else is he going back to Colorado like most people are speculating right now? Yeah. It's either Colorado or New York. And guess what? Yeah. Lou Lamorello ain't giving Nazem Kadri more than seven million bucks. He's not. He's not doing it. He's not paying him more than Matt Barzal. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't I don't know. Uh, all right, keep getting. Also, your I have no in. idea how the Islanders' cap picture actually works. Once they sign Dobson and they're trying to do all these other things, Lou's like uh, Lou is wilding. Like uh, we'll find out in September when the, all the work that he's yeah. already done gets announced. He's yeah. like Jeffrey Tambor in uh, <laughs> in Arrested Development. He's like, God, oh, there's always more money in the banana stand. How many guys have you given five million bucks to? It's just like. Giving out five five sheets a year like it's candy on Halloween. Five right. mil, five mil, five mil. Yeah, we, we got to go to break. Keep getting those submissions in. We'll 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 do a different version of it here. We'll we'll let it run a bit. We'll hand out the winner after Kay. Adnan Verk. So you got some time to get your submissions in. Uh, someone's going to the Odlum Brown Open at Hollyburn Country Club on the way here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. 
Final segment of the People's Show. Running late here on the People's Show, but uh, we'll get through the segment. We'll wrap up the show. Uh, keep getting in those submissions for Don't At Me. We'll pick a winner while we're talking to Adnan Verk, who joins us now from NHL MLB Network and the Cinephile Pod. Uh, we're asking our guests today, Adnan, a couple of them at least, uh, have you been doing four hours of independent study on, on whatever it is during the week? I'm sorry, four hours of independent study to what, Vic? I don't follow. <laughs> whatever you want. Did you not see the Kyler Murray story this week? I did not. No, you got to break oh. the news to me. Oh, well, this is fantastic. we got to break yeah. some news here. So a clause in his contract is he's got to do uh, four hours of independent study, uh, film study every week uh, on, on whatever the Cardinals are playing or whoever the opponent uh, a real clause in his contract. <laughs> I love the fact that it's actually a clause. Like they don't, they don't trust they'll <laughs> just get it done. Like, hey man, no scripting. Can't go three hours and thirty five minutes. Got to be four hours. Okay, we're clocking on this. Like, is this the honor system? It's is, some, is there an actual clock he's punching in? This is amazing. It's so bizarre. Yeah. I, I just I, I hope one outcome of this Adnan is like at some point the Cardinals are like actually on this week you did two hours and uh, thirty five minutes of independent film study and so you're in breach of contract you're getting released. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Dan. I'll just void the whole thing. Sorry, yes. buddy. Didn't work out. We're off to a three and six starts. So you know what? We're looking for anything we do to get rid of. You. Oh, look at that. Somebody went and watched Shawshank Redemption rather than doing independent <laughs> film study. You lose. I watched the two and a half hour season finale of uh, of uh, Stranger Things. That's that's probably what ended up happening. Is that how long it is? The fi- the finale is two and a half hours. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I've never been more on board with you, Adnan. That like the whole. Uh, series versus movies thing is kind of a ridiculous debate since most series have now like hour and a half long episodes anyways oh i love the backup dan i was just saying this to my brother the other day i said i don't understand you know i was talking to a friend of mine and he goes oh millennials they'd rather watch shows than movies i said but it's more time he's like yeah but they just want to you know watch an episode of a show and then call it a night i go yeah yeah i know but it's longer severance is nine episodes that's nine hours Everyone tells me it's amazing. I love Ben Stiller, Adam Scott, John Stewart, Christopher Walken, but that's nine hours. That's four movies. I watched three episodes. <laughs> to me, that's a really long movie, and I wasn't really into it. I'm like, okay, it's okay. I'd really go watch a movie. And to me, I never understand this concept, especially if what is today all about? Shorter time spans, right? Quicker. We need information quicker. Well, the movie is quicker. It's two hours. <laughs> it's 90 minutes sometime. Why am I watching a show? I'll never understand it. Yeah, uh, it, 100%. 100% on board. And, like, yes, uh, Stranger Things. I was, like, I was watching the season finale, and it's like, this is two and a half hours. How is this any different from a movie? Anyways, um, okay. Uh, we got the trade deadline coming up in Major League Baseball. Is Juan Soto being traded before next Tuesday? I don't think so, but, man, it, it is a hell of a thing to talk about, and it would be a whopper of a trade. I just think, Dan, these trades are so tough to pull off midseason because there's a lot more urgency when the season is over, meaning there can only be one World Series champion. And if the Dodgers don't win, they're going to go, you know what, we're going to go get one solo. We don't care. We'll give up all our prospects. We'll get half a million dollars. We're done. Similarly, if Steve Cohen and the Mets don't win the World Series, They'll say, screw it, we'll get Juan Soto. We don't care what we have to give up. Right now, teams are willing to trade, obviously, their prospects, everyday players, give them money, but they're still in the hunt. They don't necessarily want to sell the farm. Once you lose, that naturally creates more urgency, frustration, anger, disappointment. Boom, 
all those emotions lead to things getting done. So I just think it's a complicated trade to pull off. And for the Nationals, they're in no rush. The gun's not being held. He's not freezing after this year. He's got two years. So I'm like, you know what? They don't have to wait. So if it's not 100% the deal they want, let's just wait till the offseason. Now, the team I'm pulling for is the Padres. I called the Padres game back in June. San Diego's one of my favorite cities in the world. I love A.J. Preller, President GM. He came up to me and told me he's a fan of mine. I'm like, all right, I'm a fan of yours now. Let's do this. Tatis is my favorite player. So I've heard some rumors now about the Padres, but I'm terrified that Tatis is going to go to the Nationals, which would just upset me greatly. I love having him on the Padres, and I just love everything he brings to the table. But Soto Tatis together would get me going crazy. So I think, the, 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 to me, the teams in the bidding, Dodgers, Mets, Padres, Cardinals. The Yankees have their own dilemma right now with Aaron Judge. They got their right fielder. They want to re-sign him and take care of him. But those are the four teams. But in answer to your question, I just think it's tough to pull off. Maybe it happens if I was a betting man, I'll say 60-40, it doesn't. In one regard, this kind of is good for the Nationals that, you know, you could get a bidding war now into it. Uh, will that change uh, come the offseason? Yeah, I mean, I, I do hear your point, Vic. You can kind of push it like, hey, you're going to get more of this guy rather than wait till the offseason and you're giving up three blue-chip prospects. Well, hey, you're still getting two months more to this guy, and he might help win your World Series. So there's no doubt you're getting more of Soto right now rather than waiting to the offseason. But what does that mean in terms of what you're willing to give up? That right. I don't know. And I think that like Mike Rizzo is going like, to push. Bro, he's got Soto. He's got all the marbles here. He's got a top-five player in baseball, arguably the best left-handed hitter in the game. Even in a down season, everyone knows Soto at 23 is going to be a stud for the next 15 years. He does not have to make a trade unless he gets blown away. And maybe he will be. We'll see. One thing I like. One thing that makes me happy about this, like I don't want Juan Soto to end up like Mike Trout. You know, one of the best players uh, in the game that never plays in in the playoffs. Um, because the Washington Nationals, like they they feel like they're a long way away. Are we going to get Juan Soto in his prime playing playoff baseball? I want to see that because, you know, we just well we haven't had that with Mike Trout. I don't want that to be another an outcome we see again. Yeah, it's one of the frustrations of baseball, Dan. You want to have your best players playing in the biggest moments. One of the reasons why Derek Jeter has a documentary series, The Captain, about him was that he always shined brightest in the postseason, and he played for the most historic franchise in pro sports and played in the number one media market, period. So if Mike Trout was always starring in the playoffs and was doing what Jeter was doing, more people would talk about him. But instead he pulls up a three-time MVP and his team stinks, and they, they had a good start this year, 14-game losing streak, catastrophic. Now he's got some sort of rare back condition. Apparently he's going to try to play through it. Like, it's, it's really upsetting. And I think as a baseball fan, you want to have your best players performing on the biggest stage. And I'll go further and say, with a, no offense to the likes of Kansas City and Arizona, but you want to have your big market teams play well, period. Only the NFL can get away with that. If Arizona is in the Super Bowl, people will still watch. Of course, it's the Super Bowl. They don't need Green Bay and Dallas. But I think it's helpful if it's Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series. So if Soto goes to a big market team, I'm with you. I'm all for it. So uh, what are the Blue Jays doing? If they're not getting Juan Soto, are they are they getting Luis Castillo? Like, they, they need some pitching. They need some help on the mound, Adnan. That's the number one guy they need, Dan. I mean, listen, Manoa is a top-ten pitcher in baseball. Gossman is excellent. But were you done for the season? Kikuchi's been a real disappointment. Jays have lost. 11 of his 16 starts this season. He's back tonight. First start since early July. He's got an ERA of 5.5. Craig 
apparently he's worked on a slider. We'll see if it actually ends up benefiting him. But he signed a three-year, $36 million deal. And so far, he's been a dud. So two-fifths of your rotation are no good. And Ross Stripling's actually done a decent job filling in, but can you really trust him? And Nate Pearson we're still waiting on. Whatever the hell that's going to happen. So you are right. They need a pitcher more than anything, and Castillo is the best pitcher available. If you get him, that could be a $150 million contract. He's going to want Barrios-type money, but he's a stud. And if you really feel like you're a team that can do it, then he is the best starter available. Close behind, Frankie Montas and the A's. I don't think the Giants are selling, just judging by Farhan Zaidi's temperament. I think the Giants will still kind of hang in. But if Carlos Rodon was available, I would definitely make a big push for him. But I think the Jays are in on Castillo. Whether or not they get him remains to be seen. And they've got the prospects, and we all know Rodgers has the deep pockets if they want to keep him inside him. A uh, different tone for our, our conversation on the Blue Jays from where we were a week ago. Uh, nothing like some ground balls in uh, Fenway. We'll uh, hear some ailments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're calling it the Boston Massacre. That 28-5 to game was one for the ages. I mean, the fact they outscored them 40-10 to in a three-game series. And it's not all in the manager. We can't always blame Charlie Montoya, but there's no doubt that a fresh air of energy comes in. It definitely revitalizes teams. We see that in all sports. So credit to John Schneider. They're 8-2 and two since he became the manager. And if you look at their numbers, particularly offensively, off the charts. OPS, batting average, RBI, it's all there. Like, their offense has been number one in the American League. So, clearly the bats have responded, and it's not just the usual suspects of Vlad and Bichette and Springer, as great as those guys are. It's Alejandro Kirk continuing his all-star season. It's Julie Gurriel playing a lot better. You know, it's uh, Teoscar Hernandez finally stepping up with the promise and potential we expect from him, Silver Slugger, a year ago. So, yeah, James are back right now. They're feeling pretty good. And, listen, of all the wildcard teams – confident they do make that wild card i think it's going to be obviously yankees winning the east the Astros winning the west twins or white Sox in the central but that first wild card for me is still going to be the blue jays we know they have the talent it's just a matter of delivery uh you mentioned uh, trout i feel like there's a i i don't know if there's a more universally respected player uh, as far as skill set and people want to see him in, in in marquee moments Cool moment in the Cardinals Jays. Pujols gets the standing ovation. Is there a more universally liked player that you can think of in recent memory than than Albert Pujols? No, I mean I, I, maybe Jeter would be the guy I think of, just because I'm you think of a guy like you said universally. Well nah, liked. Jeter wasn't that universally loved, Adnan. At least not by me. <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess so. I mean, there's a lot of Jeter haters. Maybe just the fact he was a Yankee. That is true, Dan. Yeah, you can't really like a Yankee that much. But I think everyone always respected his work ethic and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, man, listen, Albert's always done the right thing. He's a hard worker. He respects the game. There's a lot of charitable efforts, to, particularly towards people suffering from Down syndrome. I've always liked that about him. Three-time MVP. Bit of a disappointment, the fact he was never able to deliver the Angels on that contract after the success with St. Louis. But, obviously, respects the game, treats the game the right way. I wasn't crazy about him getting an all-star nod. To me... When you debate who's the best player of all time, you can say things like, oh, Willie Mays was a 24-time All-Star, this guy was that. So I don't like being able to say, well, 11-time All-Star. But actually, put an asterisk. Albert Lee was just 10. It was kind of a phony one there by Rob Manfred. But I did love him in the home run derby, and I thought he delivered. It was a lot of fun seeing him. The fact he got out of the first round, you saw the joy and the love that people have for him. So um, nice performance by him against the Blue Jays. They're missing Arnauto and Goldschmidt, and Albert goes 3-for-3 three three and goes deep as well. Nice to see <laughs> You know, uh, the old dog still got a little oomph in that bat. Uh, la- last thing on uh, on on uh, the major leagues, but the the Yankees uh, they make the move for Benintendi today. Do you like it for them? Love it. Joey Gallo is hitting one sixty one as the Yankees <laughs> with an absolute bust. Uh, I I think. Listen, I honestly think he'll be better 
somewhere else. With the Rangers, he was a very good player. It was just a disaster in New York. It's been a year now. The guy's awful. You can't keep waiting. And the Yankees, as our boy Randeep knows, the Yankee fan, they've been playing 500 baseball over these last 20 games. Just got swept in the Subway Series. You know, they need a little juice right now. Yes, overall best records. They're right there with the Dodgers. But the last 20 games are a 500 team. They need a spark right now. And Ben Attendee is top five in batting average. I believe he's sixth in, um, on base percentage. Doesn't have a lot of slugging percentage, but that guy gets on base. I think he's first in multi-hit games as well. And so Royals-Yankees tonight in the Bronx. I'm actually going tomorrow to the game to support my buddy Boney. It's my birthday, so i got tickets tomorrow. i got to take my kids. So I will get to see the Andrew Benatendi bash now that he's with the Yankees taking the Royals. But I think it's an excellent trade. Listen, I don't know who they gave up. They gave up a few prospects. Maybe they're good, maybe they're not. Who cares? The Yankees are trying to win a World Series. They haven't won since 2009. Clearly needed a void. Benatendi now becomes your left fielder. You have Judge in center and Hicks. Uh, and obviously Carpenter can split right field for now until Stanton comes back. And when Stanton comes back, one guy can DH, one guy can platoon. So it's definitely more options for Aaron Boone. Uh, so uh, Paul Sorvino passed away uh, earlier this week, uh, you know, plays Paulie in, in Goodfellas, probably his most famous role, or at least one of them. Uh, the, the food scene, still epic to me. I love, like, I'll just go on YouTube and watch the prison, the prison dinner scene and uh, the way he's cutting up the garlic. Uh, is that the best food scene in a movie, of any movie, all time? Wow, it's hard. You know, I think Goodfellas is definitely one of the best food movies ever. You watch it, and you're just starving. You're just salivating <laughs> seeing all the food these guys eat. And particularly the way he slices the garlic is good. But my best food movie ever, listen, Goodfellas is one of my top three favorite movies ever. But Big Night is my favorite food movie. The great Stanley Tucci, him and Tony Shalhoub playing brothers running an Italian restaurant. I mean, that movie is just incredible. When you look at all the savory food they're making, you know, the risotto and the porchetta and all that stuff. Big Night to me is the best food movie ever, but Goodfellas might have the best food scene. The way he's telling Vinny, not too many onions, the way he slices that garlic. I mean, <laughs> Servino was so good in that movie. Just, you know, the fact that, you know, the narration from Henry Hill, Paulie only moves slow, but that's because Paulie didn't have to move for anybody. The way he welcomes Henry Hill after he gets pinched, uh, the fact, the way he slaps him, after knows that he was doing, you know, dealing drugs in the joint. And that last unforgettable look, when Henry Hill ran out of points at him, that's who Paul Cicero is. God, he gives a look that if looks could kill, it's incredible. And uh, clearly God needs some heavies up in heaven because we've lost Ray Liotta, Tony Sirico, and now Paul Servino. So we're losing all of our tough guys to James Conn as well. Um, but, yeah, great career. And also I should note, when Miro Servino won for Mighty Aphrodite, one of the great moments of the Oscars, he was bawling. What a proud papa seeing his daughter win an Oscar. Really cool moment. Hey, Adnan. Actually, hey, uh, sorry. Uh, before we let you go, how was Cooperstown? It was awesome, man. I, Vic, I hadn't been in since I was 11 years old. My dad took me and my brother. Wow, nice. I had to go to support my, my friend Tim Kirchin. Tim and I worked for five years at ESPN. He's one of the single best people I know. The fact he got inducted into Cooperstown, I can't believe I have a friend who's in the Hall of Fame. So I said, i got to go. Three hours to get there, over four hours to get back. It's one of those places where there's no lampposts. Got to use the high beams at 10 p.m. at night. A little dicey. Surprised didn't wind up in a ditch. But the key is it's not what you know, it's who you know. I was there with my buddy Eddie Perez, who, of course, works with Tim on the broadcast on ESPN, and he's the son of a Hall of Famer, Tony Perez. So Eddie said, hang with me, you'll be fine. And I got to meet Cal Ripken, and I got to meet Johnny Bench, and Juan Marichal, and Pudge Rodriguez, and Jeff Bagwell, and Paul Molitor, and best of all, Larry Walker. I went around to him and said, hey, Larry, I'm Adam Amberg, host of MLB Network, I'm Canadian. He goes, I know who you are. Maybe he was lying, who knows, but he was <laughs> awesome. Uh, I suppose a brother in Maple Ridge, has a brother in Kelowna. 
I said, can we get a picture? He said, sure. And he actually said, why don't you stand on the step? You look a little taller. That great deadpan Canadian humor of Larry Walker. He's the best. Uh, glad you enjoyed it. That's awesome. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, pal. Vic, Dan, good to reunite. Take care. Thanks for answering Thanks, the phone. Ed, Our guy, Ed Nanverk. Yep. Hates answering the phone. <laughs> Appreciate that he did. Does anybody like answering the phone these days? I mean, I don't know. I'm more likely to let... <laughs> Depends uh, on the caller ID. But I'm more likely to let the uh, the phone just ring out and oh, call yeah. back after. Uh, I forgot to ask him about Oppenheimer. Mm. Rager just texted in. Did you ask him about Oppenheimer? Forgot. We'll do it next week. He'll be back next week. Yep. Hey, anytime a Christopher Nolan movie is on the radar, mm-hmm. I'm in. It was a really short trailer. Yeah. It's like nothing happened. But you know time is involved. I'm all in. <laughs> you know time is involved. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's his move. It's the, it's the ultimate Christopher Nolan thing. Yeah. Somehow make time a big part of the movie. All right. Uh, we got to run here, but before we go, we'll do a cleanup don't at me here. Yeah. Uh, someone is walking away with the prize. Uh, the, the best submission we got, don't at me. Summer seasonal depression. Real thing. Too damn hot. I don't like this. Look, you got to come in with a take. You got to create conversation. Got to be cheeky, whatever it is. Uh, that was the one that you uh, just agreed with it. That's why you picked it. It, it caused it. the most conversation, did it not? Mm. Did, you wanna, also, did you want to give it to the person that said, Don't at me? You, Levy, is a late bloomer and will rise <laughs> to NHL stardom. But we're doing this guy a solid to help him cure his summer depression. Yeah. yeah. Look at us. Fair, fair enough. And he's on it. That's why it's called The People Show. And uh, great, great work by the people. Confession Thursday. Oh, man. Was, was epic. Some of you got some real confi- Oh yeah. Some of you got some real skeletons in the closet, you know. <laughs> uh you can check out uh, hour 3 of the pod uh to hear confession Thursdays. Uh I will say uh Jays Tigers coming up. You say Kikuchi and the Jays are a minus 250 favorite. Now I know the Tigers are bad. You you definitely cannot play that one. <laughs> I know the Tigers are bad. That's a lot. But I am not laying Two dollars and fifty cents with, with you saying Kikuchi. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. It's a lot of money. Take yeah. the under on strikeouts. Mm-hmm. I was looking at that earlier. I think that's uh, minus one fifteen or something like that. Yeah, it's do it. One. That's better than laying two fifty with the Jays. <laughs> <laughs> something. Uh, all right, we're out of here. Back tomorrow at the Nat at eleven o'clock for a nooner. Uh, can't wait. Bick Nazar, Dan Richo, Eddie Gregory. We're out.